0: Welcome to this podcast by the International Cohort, part of the Donut Economics Peer-to-Peer Learning Journeys, which was hosted by Civic Square, working with Enroll Yourself and the Donut Economics Action Lab. Over the last six months, we have been exploring new economic possibilities that are regenerative and distributive by design in the context of our local neighbourhoods. In this series of three conversations, we discuss well-being, language, and migration, subjects that came up again and again in our weekly online meetings. Yo. Hiya.
1: Bonjour. Diggert. Hola. Hi. (laughs) Hi. Welcome to this conversation about language, where the international, Donut Economics Neighborhood uh, Learning Group, and we are 13 different from, yeah, we are 13 women from uh, different places around the world. And I, th- I believe we are four continents, six countries, and 13 different contexts. And we've been exploring donut economics um, on our neighborhood level over the last six months, and we've come up with or we've, we've learned a lot about how language matters and how different contexts requires a different language and we have run into some challenges and some observations on how, how we're talking about donut economics in, in our places. Um, so this conversation is basically about some of our observations and learnings from that process. And I will leave the mic open for others to jump in with observations and and thoughts about how to have a pluralistic view to language that there's no one language that is going to
2: work everywhere around the world. I think um, economics, when someone hears that, often is intimidated. At least that's been my experience. Donut. Economics is perhaps more intriguing because many from, you know, Western culture love donuts. You know, the sweet fried pastry. Um, but what I've when I talk about donut economics, I usually talk more about balance. I think that's easier for people to understand when talking about the balance between ecological health and ensuring that society has enough to thrive and that social foundation and then i provide more examples like affordable housing access to healthy food and i think when i have conversations when i talk about it in that context it becomes more accessible and then if if they want to nerd out or i can feel the vibe going in that direction then i'll start talking about donut economics and maybe name drop but oftentimes I just keep it more at the service level and, and wait to hear how other people respond to that. And, and um, yeah, see if we're, we, yeah, if it's, if it's clear what I'm saying, you know, so it's also a matter of listening and being sure that the, the message is coming through when having conversations.
3: For me, language um, from an, an, another take on it, one of my um, books that I read about five years ago called Lost Words by Rob McFarlane and Jackie Morris was a very, powerful book in terms of the work that I'm doing around just opening up a child's dictionary, which is how Rob McFarlane talks about the origins of this book. He opened up a children's dictionary and realized the words that had been, had lost, had disappeared from children's language. Words like bluebell or starling or bramble, the language of how we talk about and understand and recognize the rest of the natural world. So he wrote this beautiful spell book, which is about if we lose language, we lose relationships and we lose care so how do we recover language that restores relationships and care so it's been a very powerful kind of metaphor and, and book um with regards to our relationships with the rest of the natural world.
0: Karen, when you were saying that it just reminded me of something that I've shared before thinking about language and like do we produce language or does language produce us you know um the indigenous people in Patagonia they some of the tribes they didn't have words for things like police they didn't have words I can't remember like yeah these kind of like military or like um disciplinary words they didn't have and you think of like what a difference that makes to your society then and Kate's Rayworth's examples in the book of are we a citizen or are we a consumer and what difference that what kind of what that lends you to be a to be a citizen yeah it's just such a such an important point. So I
4: at the beginning of the call made a fuss about Ireland not being part of the UK but I can't actually speak Irish much at all and there's a revival happening in the country led by a researcher who's published books that focus on swear words or focus on multiple ways of describing holes in the ground like a hole made by a fish that fell in it or a hole made by a heavy cow's foot or a hole made by whatever whatever and the language would only have come from looking at the same place over and over and over again and noticing how different things would have happened and there's a really good play by a playwright Brian Friel who talks about translations where a survey was done by British soldiers and translated all the Irish place names into English place names and sometimes they did translate them but more often than not they made phonetic writings. Um, so a lot of people would know a place by its, by this nonsense name and if you don't speak Irish it's literally a nonsense name. But what's funny now is is we've just got postcodes in Ireland so now place place names are just becoming postcodes, so we're we're kind of moving on again away from from knowing the history or the place of the of the meaning and I'm at one of the reasons why I can't be at the in Birmingham in two weeks is because I'm going to go learn Shannos, which is old Irish singing, but because I don't know how to speak the language, I'm going to learn the songs phonetically, <laughs> but hopefully through singing and getting close to the pronunciation of the songs. Something of the meaning of the song and the language will come through, and obviously I'll know what it means in my in my head. But the main co- comment is that this is such a like language language popcorn. Like Donut Economics is language popcorn. There's so many. <laughs> it's just full of of um, word sweets, and sometimes too much in one book. So that's why it's been so useful to sit down week by week by week and go through it? Because it seems like every chapter is like provocation popcorn to me in terms of language and like challenging you to be like, make something of this.
5: Many things that come to mind. Um, When I listened to you, Molly, you remind me of an interview um, that I listened a really long time ago, so I might be saying things wrong. Robin Wall Kimmer, and she was talking about understanding that she was teaching the words, but she was forgetting to teach about the songs when she was um, in her scientific classes and had a lot to do about like how we need to categorize things and give a nomenclature and then we by doing so ended up losing track of the relationships and i think this is kind of a way to, to really summarize <laughs> what we're discussing here because i think when we talk about economics which is pretty much about relationships, about our relationship with earth and with each other and what is it that we value. So even if we think about like money, money is just um, a token of a transactional relationship. And so by noticing um, those relationships and the way that we use language, rather than then simply understanding that we're giving name to things like, oh, this is donut economics and pa, you know, (laughs) and then that's how you need to present it. We might lose track of how this actually interacts in different contexts to me it's quite it's quite hard actually I have a really hard time uh, bringing donut um, in a Brazilian uh, context um, and I think as as pretty much as uh, um, I think it was Alexa that said it, like the how how things are perceived by people you're talking with is a way for you to kind of know to what extent you're gonna like bring a name oh this was written by famous economist <laughs> Kate Hayward so listen to me or how much information how you're going to come in right because when i say donut people immediately might think of a very like united states of america oh to me it becomes immediately the picture of like homer simpson eating like a pink sprinkled <laughs> donut which is very like unhealthy and sugary and I think it speaks a lot about also this slightly toxic not healthy way to address economy in so many ways. There's like a cultural imperialism, there's like a dominance in like macroeconomics relationships of like a developmentalism, I don't even know if this word exists, but or colonialism obviously and so to me becomes a way to then explain it as you say it. I, I try to explain the limits and the boundaries. And okay, so this is what we need to try, this is as much as we can extract. oh, this has this shape, that's why it's named like that. So, so I start by this other end, which also ended up becoming usually a big conversation and it's so hard to bring people in. Economics is a hard topic to bring people in because we are constantly pulled off by hard language um, about so many other things that make us feel that this is not part of who we are, that we are not part of economics. There's economics, there's us, and so, yeah. And in that, I really like a quote um, from a Brazilian thinker, pedagogue called Paulo Freire. And he said, well, among many amazing things that he say about education, um, he says the language is never never neutral. There's no such thing.
0: Yeah and I wonder how much Kate Raworth thought about that herself when she was writing the book. Um I mean she must have obviously she wrote the book but um because she makes that distinction obviously she thinks about language she thinks about like citizen and consumer. But then when I read the book I'm like it's extremely middle class the book like upper middle class and the extended metaphor that she uses about a play and like Shakespeare play is like extremely English, extremely middle class. and I just it just kind of it positions it in such a way that like it's quite interesting and it's interesting in terms of this group as well being an, an international group, but being quite kind of you know loaded in terms of a lot of people from the UK and Ireland and from the kind of global north um, reading this very like English text but trying to think about how not to reproduce these kind of colonial inequities, but almost like from a starting point of language, we're already like trapped in that box a little bit.
6: I think, yeah, there's so much in what people have shared around the dichotomy of language, in that it is so loaded, it's not neutral it offers so much it evolves we've lost so much language and what does the, what does the, the consequences of lost vocabulary mean particularly around the, the the natural world and so there's there's so much attached to that and so for me I'm not an econo- uh, economist um so that I have my own personal economic graffiti that Kate talks about in the book. And so when I'm thinking about how I understand the book and then how I talk to other people about that, knowing that they also sit with their own economic graffiti in their background and then how to position some of that using language and using vocabulary in that is kind of really interesting. And then the dichotomy of language is also that sometimes... Power can go beyond language, um, and that, because it takes me back to a memory. So, an undergraduate student, being an undergraduate student years ago, and um, our kind of fascinating academic, uh, Dr. Aziaba Nairobi, who is a Nigerian playwright, polemicist, and um, agitator and activist, who had to flee Nigeria took us on a trip to Denmark to to, to visit a theatre company um, that worked in Denmark. And on the ferry, um, he got out his um, drums and he started teaching us um, some traditional Nigerian songs. And other people in the bar area of the ferry um, started to gravitate towards his energy and towards us singing and drumming and then this kind of just went across the whole bar area and more and more people were joining us and it kind of built such a powerful uh, energy in the interaction that the captain had got word that there was going to there was the potential for a mutiny on board and he came in and shut us down now we didn't know what we were singing. Uh, we 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 didn't speak. Um, I can't remember which dialect he spoke, but we didn't understand what we were singing. He gave us the context. Uh, we trusted him that, uh, that, that the context was good, and we kind of got behind it. But there was something so powerful in the collectivism and the song in which we were all gathering together that went beyond language. So much so that the, that the that captain got uh, of a ship got petrified by (laughs) mainly lots of, uh, you know, kind of European students because they were kind of going both ways uh, across the seas um being kind of roused by by communal singing in another language that he didn't understand and nor did we but there was something beyond the words that was being transmitted um, I thought it was the way I read it was something beautiful and you know that we actually for, for different Scandinavian speakers and English speakers and Irish speakers we were all kind of on this together and coming together through a new language <laughs> but it was something that you know caused alarm for someone else so it's the dichotomy of language that is just fascinating um, listening to other people's sharings there.
3: Jodie just to briefly add to that I um, from dichotomy to plurality in the sense that I remember years ago being walked through a forest by a botanist and he was multilingual And he was able to name plants and trees using many different languages. So Irish, Ulster, Scots, English, Spanish and Latin. And and with each word and each different language carried a different context of history, of relationships, of stories. And I just remember an incredible morning of just so many different languages describing one tree and how the tree became so much fuller. In my understanding and my relationships through adding and I thought if he could have 100 languages, imagine 100 different words for that tree, what, how that would have led me to a different place. So I, I love adding more and more languages and each will portray a different lens on something.
4: There's also in French there's an interesting distinction between la langue and le langage and la langue is like English or Irish or Spanish and le langage is the, this faculty that humans have to communicate such a such a mad miracle that we're able to say something and we just presume that it'll land on somebody else's ear in the way that we intended to you know even in the same long as alice highlighted we've been operating in a dominant language for this or long for this for this process but you know we're all we all have ears from our own contexts and we all have words that we're used to using in our own context as well so Definitely, there's been a few words that have been thrown out and exchanged and they've landed in different ways I'm sure, but it would be amazing to capture that in some way.
1: One exercise that I always do in my visual trainings is to ask people to draw the same word. So I will pick five words and ask them to draw the same word and it's incredible. Even working in groups where people use the same language every single day the surprise that comes out when they're asked to communicate in a different way than just the spoken words, because we say the same words again and again and again, but we doesn't we don't understand the, the subtle subtle differences that happens in in the language uh, all the time. So, I think it's also about adding more ways of communication into into the mix. Um, visual, one of them, body language is is another one. It could be that there
4: is a, you know, the way um, somebody, I think, mentioned it in the, in this about you inhabit the world of the language that you're speaking. It could be that there is a much better language for donut economics, you know, and we probably potentially should undertake to learn whatever language that is, that's more, um, that centers the individual, or, or sorry, no, that does not center the individual, the opposite, <laughs> that centers the collective, and that allow then makes visible through language things that English does not so maybe we need to learn all need to learn a deal language. I think what really caught my
5: attention and brought me to the donut universe <laughs> as someone who really appreciates this work is how clear it was for for Kate and the importance of visual language Uh, and also as as when I say language I think about what you mean by language like like the Latin word is same in Portuguese we have lingua and linguaging two different things so when I say language I imagine like spoken visual like all types of expression yeah I think this was something that to me make things somehow more accessible and I think something from what Jody brought the um, immense like potential of using language that may be not spoken or does not really speak directly to something that is from an area. I think things like art and music connect us in so many levels that are beyond what we can possibly imagine. And I think also this coming to what Molly was saying about learning songs phonetically, even if she doesn't really know the meaning of the words, I'm pretty sure this will bring insights and implications and feelings and and things to you, they are very true to that what
7: you're going to be singing. To quote Mona, I think um, which is something that um, I've definitely been grappling with a little bit in my context is exactly that like how do you how do you even bring this idea of the donut into a context where it's completely unknown? And I think Mona said something that I jotted down once that was the donut is is holding the space of what we're all trying to achieve. We just don't really know how to express it. So without explicitly saying it in the way that it's been framed, you know, how do we immerse ourselves? Or if we really are fully immersing ourselves in it, we're really doing it. How do we do it in different ways and in different languages, I suppose? And I think something... For me, that has been really a bit of a grapple in my context is I'm already doing, you know, co-design workshops or participatory planning that are already being translated into two or three different languages. Um, So there's already quite a gap in terms of the communication of what you're doing and then trying to bring in a whole new idea or context that is maybe very Eurocentric or European to a space where we're trying to move away from, you know, having that as our Kind of um, vision, so it is an interesting, yeah. Trying to figure out how you immerse the work in this idea, and there is a language around it, but what is that language, and how do you hold that language? Yeah, it's something that I'm, yeah, definitely still trying to figure out. I think it also because you're in,
1: in South Africa, uh, which is, in many ways, a different context to many of the other contexts um, on this journey, where. Uh, from my experience, I've also worked a lot in South Africa. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily enter that conversation from the point of climate, the outer circle, the planetary boundaries, because the focus is so heavily on a social foundation. So it, you would come across arrogant. I would come across arrogant in my own neighborhood in Copenhagen if I would enter from the climate perspective all the time. In some cases, definitely. But there's a higher focus on the social foundation. Um, So it's also about knowing from what side of the donut you start the conversation, I think. And sometimes you need to, at least that's my own experience, that I sometimes enter the conversation from donut economics point of view, that I explicitly say that because it intrigues people a bit. Like, what is donut economics? What is that? And then you can start the conversation Whereas, if I would say... uh, economics mm, not everyone would pick up a conversation on that. So there's a curiosity what what is donut economics? Um, and sometimes I'm not even mentioning, but it yeah, it holds that it's it's a framework to work within that allows of a plurality of other methods and ways of of working to sit in. So it's an easy model to explain. this is what we are um, working towards it's intuitive, it makes sense, at least for me. Um, My mom asked me some time ago, what is this donut economics that you write about on social media all the time? And I was like, oh no, how do I explain it in a way that makes sense? But it really resonated when I didn't go into a lot of economic lingo, which I don't even speak a lot. But if I would explain the key concepts of donut economics, she was with me. It's like, Yeah, it makes sense. So I think it's about putting yourself into the shoes of the other person in front of you. And I have to challenge myself not to get into this missionistic, um, this is the only way of doing things. Because a lot of people can agree this is something to work towards, but I'm not here to convince everyone to buy into this model. Because that's another round of colonial uh, superior mindsets right there so yeah there's something about having that as an internal compass that I like to work within and sometimes it makes sense to bring the model to the forefront and sometimes we're just speaking from that
2: it's my experience uh, everything everyone is saying resonates with me I just want to say one other thing that I feel is I'm so much more aware of because of reading donor economics and that's of how violent, at least the English language is, um, like tackle, um, you know, barrage, or, uh, you know, that really beats me, or, you know, there's all sorts of things that are quite violent. So now when I I was um, making a post on Instagram and I was gonna write, take a stab at it. And then I was like, no, wait, I don't like the way that sounds. So I started to think, you know, have a go at it, and so I'm, I've been working over the past few months um, to try to shift to language that's more fitting for the natural world, that's more caring, that's more nurturing. And I, I never really thought about it in the same way that I that I do now. And I think it's important to think about, uh, yeah, how language we we embody our language, and as Kate talks about it, we've discussed it. So yeah, finding ways to kind of shift the narrative and. You know, through our cross-pollination, fertilized new ways of seeing and and writing, and you know, dancing, you know, about the world that's more joyful. I, I I'm working really hard to do that, and it's yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to unlearn.
6: <laughs> Maybe there's something in just acknowledging, getting into, um, and picking this and. But being also okay with the complexity and that there won't always be a solution to it as well, I did a European project a few years ago, and that we we kept um English uh people were using the word collaboration and collaborator really positively throughout that in, throughout at the beginning stages of the project. Estonian colleagues early on in the project explained how problematic the word uh, collaborator, collaborating is for them politically. And, you know, we, 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 we talked for hours about how we could find a word that matched one one context and didn't kind of have this other meaning. And we went round in circles and circles it, and the conversation carried on for the whole project, really. Not in a negative way, really, but in a just a kind of resurfacing every now and again in just saying, you know, have, have we come to a better conclusion that kind of describes because the project, it was across... Um, It was across uh, Estonia and um, Spain and Finland and England. So was there a word that we could all use that we could all um, accept as a good, and we couldn't, um, and that was okay. But we had learned. I had certainly learned on that project the nuance of of language, and and for me, collaboration is such a positive word, and seeing that from somebody else's perspective. So sometimes these these aren't problems to be solved necessarily, but to be in the work, in the conversation, um, and understanding that is. I guess it's noticing, it's pointing towards, and it's and it's not necessarily necessarily uh, knowing that we can come up with a a, a solution because because language, as we've just discussed, isn't linear, it isn't static, and it's multidimensional and ha- and has a lot of historical and contemporary meaning to it. So.
1: That is a really, really uh, beautiful synthesis of uh, this uh, conversation. I think we are unfortunately running out of time. I know we can continue these conversations forever. Um, yeah, so let's call Jody's uh, beautiful recap the end of uh, this conversation. Uh, thank you for yeah. sharing and listening.
0: I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation. We are 13 women from across the world who took part in the Donut Economics Peer-to-Peer Learning Journey in 2022. It was hosted by Civic Square, working with Enroll Yourself and the Donut Economics Action Lab.